Hello everyone, this is Sonali Mangal and welcome to another episode of Learn, Educate, Discover. On this podcast, we invite people from different professions on each of our episodes and we ask them a range of questions to try and understand what their job is all about. The goal of this podcast is to try and educate our listeners about as many different kind of jobs as we can so that someone listening to the show can decide does a certain job sound interesting to them and if yes, how do they go about exploring it further. Now on today's episode we are going to be talking about self publishing and how you can make money by writing and selling ebooks and we have an incredible guest on our show today his name is Tom Carson Knowles and Tom is an Amazon best selling author of a number of ebooks he's written many many ebooks including books such as the Kindle Publishing Bible the Amazon Analytics Bible the secrets of the six figure author how to make money with Twitter and many many others Tom's entrepreneurial bug started pretty early in his life. So just at the age of 13, he was manufacturing and selling lamps out of his father's garage. And then at the age of 22, he was making a full-time income from his business of marketing whole food nutrition supplements. And then somewhere along the line, Tom got interested in writing, and today he has a very successful business of writing and selling ebooks. And in fact, he started his own publishing company called TCK Publishing. You can check it out at tckpublishing.com where he helps other writers get published. So I hope you enjoy today's episode. You'll find that Tom shares a number of resources, really very very specific tips and suggestions and insights and books and links. So really I think it's a great episode for anyone who is interested in writing and is exploring the self-publishing path. So without further ado, let's welcome Tom. Hey Thanks Tom. Thanks so much, Sonali. Great to be here. Hey, yeah. Thank you so much, Tom, for the time. I understand you're super busy, so I'm going to try and make the most out of the one hour that we have with you today. Great. Let's do it. All right. So uh, I think what will be really helpful is if you can take us right back to the beginning and tell us a little bit about sort of your entrepreneurial journey and when along the lines did you get interested in writing? Yeah. So I, you know, I went to business school at Indiana University, Kelly School of Business, and in my freshman year. I was looking around and all of my classmates in business school their dream job was to go to Wall Street and become investment bankers uh, yeah. right and <laughs> and they were working you know 80 90 100 hours a week on Wall Street like like they would go to internships in the summer and work like 100 hours a week mm-hmm. and I remember I had a friend call me and she was like in tears she was crying she was like so distraught because you know she had, she had no time to eat or sleep or have a social life oh, man, you know yeah. she was just working so much and You know, I thought, hey, you know, earning six figure income right out of college would be great, but you know, giving up my entire life to do it, not so great. <laughs> and so it really freaked me out and it really made me look at my life and and figure out like, you know, okay, I'm a freshman in college now, but I I better figure out in these next 3 years how I'm actually going to earn a living or I'm just going to be going down that same route everyone else is going and it's going to be making me really unhappy and really unfulfilled. So I found that, you know, everyone's dream around me was like my nightmare, being stuck in a cubicle for 100 hours a week. And so basically my one of my responses to that was I actually just started writing. It's just some a habit I've had since I was young. I just opened up a document on my computer and started writing and I started writing about, you know, what I thought it meant to lead a successful life for me. Kind of like a personal manifesto of just what I really wanted with my life because I was just in that stage where I was just exploring new things and trying to figure it out. And I had no intention of actually turning that into a book, but I shared it with a few people and they said, "You know, this is great. This could be a book. You should get this published." And so I tried to find a an a literary agent or a publisher, you know, to take on my book and get it published and get a traditional book deal. 
And I just failed miserably at that. Like I literally couldn't get an agent or a publisher to respond to my emails or phone calls or, or letters. Uh, and so I pretty much gave up on that dream completely for like six years. Uh, and oh, then yeah. about you know five years ago, a friend just mentioned offhand, you know, why don't you just self-publish a book on Kindle? And, you know, I, I had a Kindle reader since like the day they came out. So I, I love Kindles. I saw the power, you know, I saw how cool it was to be like, you know, on an airport in the middle of Asia with no cell phone reception, but you could still download an ebook, mm-hmm. you know, any ebook in the world, you could still download right from, from Amazon on your Kindle device. I just thought that was amazing. And so I immediately realized like, you know, if I, if there was a way to actually get my book published out there as an ebook and do it myself, that might be a really cool opportunity. And so I studied everything I could. I, I uploaded my first book on the Amazon Kindle. And, you know, I was so embarrassed that I actually had to self-publish my book because there's a whole stigma around, you know, authors who don't get a traditional book deal. Like, they're not professional. They don't know what they're doing, that kind of thing. Um, so I didn't tell anyone. I was really embarrassed. I didn't tell anyone I published my book. But I logged back into my account uh, with Amazon, like, a month later. I saw I had, like, 11 sales or 14 sales. And I was so excited. I was, like, jumping up and down. I was hooting and hollering. <laughs> and I was, I was thrilled because I knew, look, if I can sell 14 books without telling anyone what I had done, Imagine what I could do if I treated this like a real business, treated this like a real career and started marketing and promoting and really focusing on it. So that's what mm-hmm. I did. Mm-hmm. Okay, this is a really, really good story. And it sort of walks us through that thought process that you went through. So just a couple of follow-up questions. So when you first started, what was the first book that you published on Kindle? So today is called Rules of the Rich. And that was my personal manifesto of what okay. I thought a mentally successful life. I've rebranded it since I originally published it. And Got that's it. what it's called today. So that's that, that was the sort of the diary that you were maintaining back in school. Mm-hmm, exactly. I see. Okay. And then when you saw that it, it was doing, starting to sell on its own, that's when you decided to get into self-publishing. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. And, and so I actually had had, you know, as kind of my hobby of it was writing, right? And so I had on my computer, when I, when I self-published the first book on Amazon, I already had like 12 different manuscripts on my computer, you know, half written, you know, a couple paragraphs mm-hmm. here. Some were like almost fully written, but you know, needed a little bit of tweaking and additions and editing. Um, and so, you know, now that I saw the path where I could, okay, I actually can take my work and get it out there and get my story out there and actually help people with it. That got me inspired to like wake up every day, early in the morning, stay up late at night to finish the rest of my manuscript. Yeah. So that first year after I published that first book, I had published another 10 books on Amazon. Oh my God. So, okay. That's a lot of books. So, so I'm very curious. So uh, do you identify yourself as a writer? I mean, I, it's so hard because... I, I, I don't identify like with really anything. So in the sense that I do so many different things, like I'm an entrepreneur, I'm a writer, I'm an author, I'm a teacher, um, I'm a speaker. Like I, I just, I, I love to learn and I love to teach and that's my passion in life. And so books are just another avenue for me yeah. to really get my message out there. And one of the things I love about writing and why I think it's been so valuable for my life uh, beyond, you know, the money and the career is that when you are writing, it forces you to think about what you're trying to communicate. Mm. It forces you to think about ideas that are important to you. And when you spend that extra time really thinking about it, really getting clear on what's important to you, it helps you kind of cut away all the rest of the clutter in life. You know, I know so many people who, uh, you know, maybe in my parents' generation or in my generation, my, my classmates in college, who, you know, they found careers that, you know, earned them a good living and supported their family but were completely unfulfilling to them, right? Mm-hmm. And, and they spent years or decades or maybe an entire career working in a job that they really didn't enjoy because they weren't clear on what they really wanted. They, maybe they had other dreams or other goals that they wanted to achieve. They never really went after them. And no, so I absolutely. think what one of the great benefits of writing, even if you don't want to do it as for your career, 
at least practice it to get clear on what it is you really want to do with your life. Because if you're not clear, it's so easy to just follow the path of least resistance to go to that first interview, to say yes to that first offer and to go down a path that maybe isn't really the right path for you. No, absolutely. And and that is, I'm glad you say that because that is sort of the idea behind this podcast, which is that there are so many people who are just absolutely miserable in their jobs. And it's so important to figure out what is it that you really want to do. And writing definitely is one way to do that. So do you have a writing process? Absolutely. So I think the, the, there's a whole lot to to becoming a good writer. I think one of the most important parts of the writing process is to plan, to plot right, to, to really sit down and think about what you want to do before you sit down staring at a blank screen on a computer wondering what to write about. So the way I do it is I get a notebook and pen and paper and lock the door to my room, turn off my cell phones, turn off TV and computer so there's absolutely no distractions or interruptions whatsoever. And then I start writing down questions. And so uh, I'll write down questions by pen on the paper and then I'll just, the, whatever answers come to my mind, I'll write those down. So the questions can be anything from you know, what do I want to write about today to, you know, if I was going to write a book, what would it be about? Or it could be, you know, questions like, you know, how could I increase my income today? How could I increase my book sales today? How could mm-hmm. I, you know, make my relationship with my girlfriend better today? How could I improve my health today? Whatever area of your life you want to work on to improve, ask yourself those questions. And then those, the answers will come to your mind immediately. Like if you ask someone who's sick or overweight or tired or hates their job, if you honestly ask them about their problems, they already know a handful of things that they could do to improve their life and to move mm. in the right direction. I think the problem with a lot of people is that we don't take the time to really reflect and to think yeah. carefully about what we really want. And so we don't take the time to actually kind of listen to our own advice, right? I mean, if you've ever noticed, sometimes it's so, so much easier to give your friends really good advice <laughs> than to give yourself yeah. good advice and actually take it. No, absolutely. So, and so th- this is a great idea, right? Think about these questions and then come up, reflect on the answers. So two questions over there. One, do you sort of allocate a certain time of the day to do this? And two, how do you identify these questions? Absolutely. So I actually schedule it in my calendar. So I call it thinking time. Hmm. And I actually learned it from a, a guy who is a, you know, a multimillionaire real estate investor. Uh, and he learned it from Carl Icahn, who's a billionaire, one of the most successful investors in the world. So, um, so I call it thinking time and essentially I just schedule it on my calendar. So, uh, you know, maybe Monday morning at 8.30 AM, you know, I'll schedule thinking time on my calendar. And I try to do it minimum once a week. Um, once a day is even better. Uh, so it just depends for you and, you know, where you're at in your life right now. But I would say minimum start with once a week for sure, at least 15 minutes okay. to really just get into the habit of doing it. Yeah. And, and then, then in terms of the questions you want to ask, I mean, it, it's really, you know, once you understand, once you have enough awareness to look at your life and look at what problems you're dealing with, just ask questions about your problems, right? So if your problem is right now, you don't know what career you want to take, what job you want to take, ask yourself, you know, what job would make me happy? What job would pay me the most? What, you know, what do I want out of my job? What skills do I want to learn? What skills would I get from this job? You know, who would I become five years from now, 10 years from now, 20, 50 years from now, if I did this job the rest of my life, right? And just ask yourself these questions that are relevant to your problem and you'll find, you know, the right answers for you. No, I love it. So uh, let's talk about self-publishing. So uh, can you at a very high level describe the sort of process that one would have to go through? from beginning to end if you want to self-publish a book? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, obviously the first stage is you have to write a book, yeah. right? And so <laughs> that would start with this planning process. Like, so you can just take, you know, an hour, two hours, three hours, you know, draw out that, that simple thinking time formula. 
and apply it specifically to what you want to write your book about. And then you plan out your book and that will kind of leave you with like a basic outline. I'm sure a lot of you have done like some kind of writing outline in school. Um, you might want to do something a little bit more detailed for your own book, but it's really the, I think the most important part is just getting clear on the message of your book or the story. If it's a novel, you know, getting really clear on what you want to write about uh, and kind of the overall summary of the chapters, right? And so what's going to be in chapter one, what's going to be in chapter two and so on. And so once you kind of have that overall structure of clarity, that's when you actually sit down to write, you write the book. Um, most authors, you're going to go through five, 10, up to 75 rounds where you're actually editing your own book and just, you know, you might want to print it out. Uh, and cause you'll find a lot of different errors that you'll find when you actually print out and read your manuscript or you wouldn't find otherwise. Um, you might want to read it out loud. So you'll also, again, you'll just find errors in your writing that you wouldn't find otherwise if you actually read it out loud. And then once you're done with that self-editing process, that's when you want to go out and you want to hire a professional editor. And so I have my rule in business. I call it the rule of three. So anytime I'm going to hire anyone in business to do something, if it costs a significant amount of money, uh, maybe for you it's $100 or $500 or $1,000, whatever that number limit is for you. Above that point, if you're going to spend that much money, you definitely want to get a minimum of three quotes. Right. Mm -hmm. And what that does is it forces you to go out there and to do your research, to talk to multiple people to get a variety of perspectives and quotes on what it's actually going to cost. Cause the big mistake a lot of people make is, you know, your neighbor's aunt is an editor. So you just hire her and then you get a bill for $5,000, $10,000 <laughs> and you pay it cause you don't know the difference. Yeah. But in, in reality, you could have gotten a much better deal and a much better editor at a much better price. Um, so that's kind of the process you go through. You write the book, you self edit it, you hire a professional editor um, and then you're ready to do what you want to do with it. And so, uh, you know, some people go the traditional publishing route and less than 1% of authors ever get a traditional book deal. Mm. I certainly never got a traditional book deal. And so this route has worked really well for me. It was just self-publishing. Um, and so the basic process, once you have your book is hundred percent edited, it's ready to go. It's actually ready to get out there for people to buy. It's at that level of quality. That's when you want to get really clear on the basics branding for your book, right? Mm. So like any product that a company releases, uh, any product you want to launch to the marketplace, you want to make sure the branding is really good and really clear, right? So uh, the branding for a book starts with the book title, right? What is the title of your book going to be and what is the subtitle going to be? And so if you're writing nonfiction, for example, um, you want a title, well, actually for any book title, you want three qualities. You want it to be memorable, repeatable, and searchable, right? Memorable, repeatable, and searchable. And it's just so important because the number one reason people buy books, actually the number one reason people buy just about anything is still word of mouth. Hmm. right? You know, someone recommends a book, you go to amazon.com, you buy it, or you go to a bookstore and you buy it. That's the number one reason people still buy books. And so if your book title isn't memorable, repeatable, and searchable, you can't get word of mouth sales, right? Hmm. And because here's the process. So the process that someone has to go through to create a word of mouth sale for your book is they have to find out what your book title is. They have to be able to remember it, right? So yeah. it's memorable. Yeah. And they have to repeat that title. They have to actually say in a conversation with someone, hey, go get this book, Secrets of the Six-Figure Author, or How to Win Friends and Influence People. They actually have to be able to remember that title and communicate in a conversation. Yeah. And then that other person, that conversation has to be able to understand it too. Yeah. It's like the, tele the game telephone, right? Yeah. You go around with enough people enough times and no one's going to know what you're talking about anymore. Yeah. Um, and so if you have a book title that is, is you know, ambiguous or has homophones or has you know, puns or plays on words, it's really confusing for someone to understand immediately what it, what it means and what the actual words being said are, then you're going to, this, this process is going to break down. Right. Mm -hmm. And then the third step is once that person in conversation hears about your book title, 
they actually have to go online on Google or on Amazon and actually type in the title of your book and right. be able to find it in search engines like right away. Right. right? So if you title your book, you know, um, poverty or, you know, arrogance, <laughs> something like that, like just one word term that's really yeah. competitive, it's hard to rank for, then people aren't going to be able to find your book nearly as yeah. easily. Um, so those are the things you want to do for the book title. So once you've got the book title down and you've got your branding clear, you need a good book cover. So you're going to hire a professional book cover design. Uh, and unless you are a professional graphic designer and have some experience with this, uh, you know, definitely hire a professional to do it. Mm-hmm. And so the process that I recommend you go through to get a great book cover designed is just go to amazon.com and browse through all the top best-selling books in your market. Right. And so if you're writing a romance novel, type in romance novel, check out the best selling romance novels on Amazon. Mm-hmm. And you want to browse through all the top book covers in that market. And what you want to do is, is kind of create what I call like a swipe file. So every time you see a book cover that you love, that you think does a really good job of, of branding for that particular book that makes it really attractive, um, copy that link into like a file, like a spreadsheet or something like that. Right. And so you want to get at least 10 of these. Right, so you get ten examples of book cover designs that you think are really professional, and look really good in your market, and then you want to send those to your cover designer and say, "Hey, these are the elements of these various book book covers that I really like and think do well. Can you design something with with these kinds of elements?" And then list down the elements of these different book titles that you really like, mm. and that's a great way to basically just do market research and figure out you know which covers are actually selling well because. Uh, you know, for example, the romance market, if you publish a romance book, if you just look at the top romance books on Amazon, 60% of them have images on the book cover of, you know, scantily clad men who are like, you know, topless <laughs> men who are just ripped muscles, right? Okay. Very attractive men. Uh, 30% of the book covers have images of women who are scantily clad and very attractive. And 10% are just like random, everything else, right? Okay, yeah. um, and so it doesn't mean you have to design your book cover that same way. Uh, but you know, you know that if you have yeah, a, it a, is a book yeah. cover with a, with a handsome man on the cover, you know it's going to be at least somewhat desirable to your readers because that's what they're buying by the millions on Amazon already. Right. Yeah. Okay. So no, carry on. I'm sure there's a lot more left to the process. Absolutely. So so that's your cover design, right? Yeah. Um, so you've got your book title, your cover design. The third part of branding that's crucial um, is your book description, right? Mm. So your book description online. And I guess I should have mentioned this before, but one of the reasons why I'm talking about the branding and specifically how it relates to your, your book online is because, uh, you know, we've had a huge shift in the industry in the past 10 years, right? So 10 years ago when I wrote my first book, if you wanted to self-publish a book, you know, you had to go out, you had to print, you know, 5,000 copies of a book, you had to pay $25,000, had them all shipped to your garage, mm-hmm. and you have these huge boxes of books in your garage, and you have to go out and you have to sell a customer one-on-one, you have to collect the money from the customer. You got to lick the stamps, the envelopes, and send it out to the customer, right? It was just this <laughs> ridiculous, complicated, expensive process. Yeah. Today, 70% of sales for books are done online in the US and 80% plus overseas in other countries. So oh, the vast okay. majority of your books are going to be bought online. Mm. And of course, the biggest retailer is Amazon, which just dominates the market. It's, it's by far the market leader. Yeah. Right. So, the, so, so you really want to focus most of your effort and energy on how can you sell books online, especially specifically on Amazon, because that's where most of the market is. That's where most of the money is. That's where you're going to earn your biggest kind of return on investment, so to speak. Mm. And so the book description for your book is the book description that people see on Amazon.com, right? It's the first thing they see when they click on your book page. They're going to see your title. They're going to see your book cover and they're going to see your book description. And so your book description needs to clearly communicate what your book is about, who it's for, and why they should buy it, right? Like, you know, I, for example, I was shopping on Amazon last year, 
and I was looking for a light bulb. And I, I came across this listing on Amazon for this light bulb. And I was reading the book description and it had no, in, or sorry, the product description. And it had no information on, you know, the wattage of the light bulb, the sizing of the light bulb, like anything. Like yeah. it was just like, it's a light bulb, right? But it didn't give me the specifications to let me know if it was the right light bulb that I needed. Right. Can you I, share an example of a good book description? Absolutely. So a good book description for nonfiction, what it's going to do is it's going to clearly describe the problem that your reader has and the solution provided in the book. Right, because most nonfiction books, there's a problem your reader has, and the reason they're buying your book is they need a solution. Mm. Right, so maybe the problem for your reader is um, that they're depressed, right, and so they need a solution. And so, if you're a doctor or you have expertise in that area, you know your book is going to provide them the process to to help overcome that problem. Right, so the book description should clearly communicate uh, in the headline. Right, it's, it's like if you study copywriting, uh, I highly recommend it for anyone who's in sales or marketing. It's such an important skill just basically the, the skill and the art of writing uh, content that immediately draws your reader in yeah. to learn more and to sell your product or service. Right. And so you want a good, strong headline that the first, uh, you know, the first line in your book description should be your headline that communicates the problem that your reader has and how you can actually solve that problem. Yeah. Right. Okay. So the headline could say, you know, Hey, are you sick and tired of being sick and tired? You know, discover <laughs> our five step formula for yeah. getting better sleep and overcoming insomnia and having more energy again, right? Okay. Something like that. Yeah. It's just so a simple example a of a great headline that immediately mm -hmm. communicates what the problem is for the reader and how you're going to help them solve it. Yeah. And then the rest of the book description is basically just expounding on a simple idea and letting the reader know, okay, here's what you're going to learn in this book. Okay. Right. All right. So and then at the end is just a call to action that says, Hey, you know, scroll up and click the buy button now to get your copy today. Oh, that's important. Yeah, call to action is important. So b before we sort of continue with the process, I actually wanted to go one step deeper into each of the things that you described. So the process that you described so far is first, I need to plan my book, which has the chapters and you know what the book is about, then I need to write it. Uh, then I need to hire a professional editor and get three quotes to actually figure out what the right price for getting that book edited is. And then then there's the process of self-publishing, which involves figuring out your branding, which has the title, the subtitle, your book cover and your book description. So that's like a very high level what we talked about. Um, I do have some follow up questions on this. So the very first area, right, when I'm sitting down thinking about what book should I write? And there are so many questions to answer over here, right? Like what genre? And how long should my book be? And should it be should it be fiction or nonfiction? How do you answer these questions? So I think you, what you really want to do is find a great match between what you love to do and what you want to do and what the market wants, right? Because mm -hmm. you have to earn money in a career you know, to support your family and keep food on the table, right? And so if you're writing poetry, that's a really tough market, right? Like every couple of decades, there's like one or two poets that actually earns enough money to support the family, right? Mm -hmm. From their poetry. Mm -hmm. So that's a really tough market. And if you love poetry, that's amazing. I love poetry too, but it's going to be very tough for you to actually make a career out of writing and publishing poetry. Whereas if you're in a market like romance, like 47% of the eBooks on Amazon are that are purchased every year, 47% of all the ebooks on Amazon that are purchased are romance books, right? So in other words, oh, for every one nonfiction ebook that someone buys on Amazon, they're buying 10 romance novels, oh, right? Wow. So okay. it's an enormous market. How do you, so, how do you get this stat? Like, can you find these stats somewhere? Yes, absolutely. So there's a great website. It's called authorearnings.com. Okay. Um, and they, they, they basically scrape all this data from Amazon 
and then analyze it. And then and you can actually oh, download the reports and download their Excel files. So if you're like an Excel geek and want to like crunch the numbers yourself, it's really, really cool. Oh, that's um, good. So, so you can look, yeah, that, that's a great, great suggestion. So you can actually look over there what genres are doing well and then figure out if there's a match between the genres that are doing well and what you want to write about. Absolutely. And then the other thing you want to do after you get that data to figure out kind of a high level data mm. is you want to actually go to Amazon itself. And again, type in, you know, keywords or, uh, related to your book and find the best selling books that are similar to what you plan to write and then do your more market research that way. And one of the, the favorite things that I've found that just helps so much is actually go and check out those books and read the reviews. So read all the positive reviews and the negative reviews of the best-selling books and the market you plan to write a book in and see what readers love and what readers hate. Because readers are telling you every single day what they want and what they don't want in a book in your market. And if you're just willing to spend that time to actually go and do that research, it's, it's boring. It takes a lot of time, but you'll learn so much and it'll help you create a much better book because they'll be creating your book for your reader and their specific needs and wants that they're already telling you that they need and want. And that maybe a lot of other authors aren't really fulfilling those needs. That's a great idea. So uh, so let's say I, say I I want to write a book in self-help as an example. And then there, I look at the top 20 books and I read through the reviews. And then if I, I'm guessing across the first 10, there'll be at least a thousand or 2000 reviews. If I actually bother to do that, I'll start identifying patterns in terms of what is being appreciated and what is not being appreciated or, or there's an unmet need. Exactly. And so you definitely want to do this with a notebook so you can take notes on all the common themes mm. that readers are, are mentioning. Yeah. Okay. And then and then you talked about, uh, so, so now, okay, let's say I, I got an idea about, okay, which book I should write. What about the length? Because I've seen on, on Amazon, there are, I mean, so, some of these books are literally sort of blogs converted into books which seem to be doing well, at least as an ebook. So any recommendation on how to figure that out? Yeah, so it, it varies from market to market. So for like self-help, there's, you know, all kinds of short reads books now. So there's whole new categories on Amazon for short reads from 15 minutes to two hours to read. So anywhere from like, you know, 30 pages to 100 pages or so. Right. Um, so like a, several of my books are short books, short reads, and I've done really, really well in the self-help market. Hmm. Um, so it really just depends on your specific market. So if you're writing novels uh, or fiction, as a general rule of thumb, a, a full-length novel that's anywhere from about 80,000 to 120,000 words or about mm. 300 to 400 pages, okay. that's your ideal length for a novel to get the most sales. Right. Um, if you're in the nonfiction market, you're a much shorter books are, are more ideal in terms of yeah. sales. Yeah. But again, authorearnings.com has some great data on the, you know, the length of different books and how well they tend to sell. I see. Okay. And do they also have data on how much the ideal price point is? Because let's say I'm writing a book and if I'm putting in the effort to write a book, uh, so unless and until I'm in love with the topic and then that's all I want to write about, I may also want to consider how much the price point tends to be for the kind of book that I'm writing. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Yeah. So author earnings has some great data on pricing and you can also, again, just check out the best selling books in your market and see how they're doing it. Yeah. Um, but generally speaking, so when you're, when you publish your first book, you want your price to be as affordable as possible to get the most sales as possible to kind of start building up your platform, building up your audience. Mm. Because the most important thing when you begin is exposure because no one knows who you are. So even if you have to give your first book away for free, it's better than like having a book sell for like $10 for the ebook and not getting any sales. Because what you really need when you're first starting out is attention. You need a following, you need fans. Yeah. And so, you know, be willing to kind of discount your work at the beginning to start building up that fan base. That, so actually, so when someone buys your book online on Kindle, do you get their email address? Like, how do they follow you? 
No, you don't. So that's that's one of the big problems with this business model is that anytime you sell a book on Amazon or any retailer, you do not get their contact information or their email information. And so if you look at any business, right, you look at uh, any major merger, any major acquisition in business, and when companies buy other companies, what they're looking at to value that business most often, the most valuable asset is the list of customers, right? Right. So that is the most valuable asset in business is the list of customers, right? You think maybe your book or your product or service is most valuable, yeah. but it's really your customers right. in most cases that are most valuable. Unless so you just have like a product like Tesla, that's totally unique, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so because your list of customers is so valuable and so important and you don't get the access from retailers, you have to, you have to actively collect it yourself. And okay. so the best way to do this is with email marketing. And so there are services called autoresponders that will basically automatically manage your email contact database for you. And it's the only professional way and really legal way to build a big email list is with an autoresponder. And so what you do is basically at the beginning of your book, like right under the title page and at the back of your book, right when it's finished, you say, Hey, if you like this book, you know, please subscribe to my free newsletter on my website here, Hmm. or, you know, go to my website to download your free report on, you know, 10 ways to be more productive, something like that. I see. So to entice them to go to your website and then on that website, there's basically a simple page that says, hey, put your email in here to get access to the newsletter or the free download or whatever you're offering in exchange yeah. for that email. Yeah. And so you have to actively solicit to build your email list because that's going to be your most valuable asset. And actually, if you just look at the data, for every $1 a company spends in email marketing right now, they're getting a $38 in revenue. Oh, wow. So it's like a okay. 38x return on your investment with email marketing. Yeah. So I've never seen anything at all that has that kind of ROI in terms of marketing. uh, And it's super easy to set up so anyone can do it. No, absolutely. I mean, I have heard that email is the most effective form of marketing because everyone checks their emails. And but, but this is a very good point, right? That when you are going through self-publishing and maybe even in traditional publishing, you also need to look at these other aspects. So you have to have a website, a good website, which is offering some sort of a newsletter or some incentive, which makes people sign up and give you their contact information. Mm-hmm, uh, and then and then you talked about editing, uh, right? So, okay, f- so you first do your own editing and then you run it by people that you trust. When you go to the professional editors, uh, do you have any resources? Like where do you find these professional editors unless you know someone? Yeah, so I actually have a blog post I wrote which kind of walks you through my process for finding great editors and, okay. then, and then vetting them and making sure they're good and then selecting the right one. So we can just link that in the show notes if that works. Yeah, that works fine. Okay, great. And then, uh, so then coming to branding, uh, and you talked about title. Uh, so you gave us sort of the, the the key tenets of a good title, which is that it should be memorable and repeatable and searchable. Can you give us an actual example of a good title and a bad title? Sure. So, um, so I've got a book, it's called Destroy Your Distractions, How to Make Work Awesome, Get Things Done and Skyrocket Your Productivity. So destroy your distractions. It's unique. It's super easy. If you type it in, it's super easy to remember. It's easy to communicate. It's not confusing. Uh, and if you actually type it into Google, uh, it'll just like the first thing that comes up. If you type yeah. in Amazon, it's the first thing that comes up. So it's memorable, repeatable, and searchable. Right. And what's a bad title? So a bad title is one that's just not. Oh, right? like you so, mentioned, like so here's a, and uh, one I just typed in productivivity, and this one is called the measurement of productive efficiency and productivity growth. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Fine. So that's like it's too, it's too much. It's a mouthful. Okay. Right. It's too much. It's a mouthful. It sounds very academic. It sounds very boring. Yeah. Um, you know, you like it's not memorable. Like you, you're not going to remember if it was the measurement of productive efficiency or if it was the efficiency of productive measurement or right. It's just like it's almost like the words are meaningless in a sense. Yeah, because they don't clearly define a, a clear idea like a unit that you can remember. Okay, right. No, that so makes when sense. when you look at someone's memory, like they can only remember like like seven different points, right? 
And so if you're communicating an idea that's just so vague and so boring, people are like, there's all these things they have to keep in straight in their head and they're going to mess it up and they're not going to remember it. And they're not going to be able to communicate it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So we talked about branding. We talk, talked about book cover and we talked about the book description. After, so once you're done with all of this, what's the next step then? So once you're done with all of this, then the next step is you actually have to upload your book to Amazon. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the, the website is kdp.amazon.com to publish your eBooks. And so you actually need to make sure you get your manuscript in the right format. So it's really easy for readers to read, right? So, uh, so ebook formatting is an important step. And it's essentially what it is. It's just, it's just making your book easy to read and look good on any iPhone, you know, smartphone, computer, laptop, iPad, Kindle device, right? right. Um, so I actually created like a free video training series that just walks you through this step. Oh, okay. So it's at ebookpublishingschool.com. And so in the first video, I walk you through how to actually format your ebook for Kindle. So you don't have to pay someone hundreds of dollars to do it for you. You can do it in like half an hour for most manuscripts. It's super easy to do once you understand it. Um, and then the second video, I show you how to actually upload your book to Amazon, um, which is kind of the next step after you format it. Um, and so when you upload your book to Amazon, uh, there's a whole bunch of information you need called metadata. Right. And metadata is super important. So metadata is essentially just all the descriptive information that goes into a database that describes your book and helps readers find it. Hmm. Right. So part of the metadata is like the title, the subtitle, the book description. Um, But part of it is more stuff like, you know, the categories that it appears in on Amazon, uh, the keywords that are are relevant to your book so people can help find your book and search, things like that. And so you need to make sure that your metadata is filled out accurately when you upload your book. Yeah. Now you can always change it later. So it's, it's not one of these things where you, if you make a mistake at the beginning, you're kind of screwed. You can really tweak okay, it and edit good. it and keep working on it. Yeah. Um, after you, after you do it first, if you make a mistake. Yeah. Okay. All right. So now your book is up and I know that Amazon has like a lot of these different like discounting policies and all of that. So l- let's say you're done with all of that. I guess the main thing now is actually promoting the book, right? Because I've always thought that self-publishing, the biggest issue, not not issue, but the biggest sort of challenge for any self-published author is, is actually spreading the word about your book. So how do you do that? Mm-hmm. Definitely. So it's different for every market, right? And so again, it's you, know, you have to do that market research to understand exactly who is your reader, what do they want, and where do they hang out? So in my opinion, all good marketing is simply education. Right? So if you have a good product, a good service, all you really have to do is educate your customer, educate your reader about your product and service, about your book. And so if they know enough about it, they're going to buy it. It's like a no-brainer. Right? Mm-hmm. So I have a client, for example, a uh, publishing client. She, she wrote a book called Heal Breast Cancer Naturally. And she's helped thousands of women heal, reverse, prevent breast cancer and been really effective. And so when she does like a speaking event, Right. And she talks about, you know, her journey with breast cancer and how she overcame it and, and, you know, all the things she learned over the years. Like everyone in that room goes and buys a copy of her book because they know enough that Mm -hmm. they know they need to know more to really, you know, like effectively, you know, fix that problem. Right. Right. Um, but so, let's, let's say that you're sort of like, you know, a first time author and, you know, no one's asking you to speak at any events, no one's visiting your blog, nothing. Right. So, this is your first ebook how right. would you Absolutely. go about so, so again you want to you want to go to who is your reader what do they want and where can you find them where do they hang out so in your specific market i guarantee you there are people hanging out online for example it's at, at different websites right mm-hmm. and so 
if, if you write romance novels, you can type in a romance forum and there are like huge romance forums online where you can go in and get active and connect with readers and create an audience and be helpful and create connections and start getting people to know who you are and what you do. Mm-hmm. You know, there are forums for everything, right? So you can go on forums. That's one way to do it um, in your market. So, but you, re- you really want to do is, is, is connect your strengths with what your market wants and where they hang out, right? So um, for me, I love speaking. So I do lots of podcasts like this. I do radio, I do TV, mm-hmm. um, uh, I do public speaking, all kinds of things that I do because I love to speak. I do lots of online video on YouTube, yeah, right? I love yeah. to talk. I could talk all day, um, <laughs> and, right? And it's just my passion, yeah. right? And, I'm, and I've become good at it, not because I was born with the skill, but because I love to do it. I've done it so much that I've become better and better at it. No, absolutely. Right? And yeah. so what you want to do is not think about, you know, how do I sell a million books in my first week? Because that's unrealistic for most people. What you really want to do is figure out, okay, how can I actually connect with my audience in the best possible way using my unique skills and talents over the long term? Mm-hmm. Right? And when you because say- success for me in business is about long-term success. Yeah. Like we know what happened on Wall Street in 2007, 2008 because people weren't thinking long-term, <laughs> right? No, absolutely. And so, yeah. so instead of thinking about, you know, um, can I spam people with emails or can I can I do this or can I, you know, What's short-term thinking? Think about what can you do long-term to use your skills and talents that's going to educate the most people about what you do and help the most people. If you do that, you're going to be successful long-term, but it's a longer game, right? It's about more than just, you know, how do I sell a bunch of books when I launch it? Yeah. And actually, this this long-term mindset is very important. Uh, and if you were to, I know that the number is not fixed, but what time frame are we talking about here? Um, so... For example, if you're in the U.S. and you, you you wrote a book and you own the copyright to that, you own the copyright for 75 years after you die, mm-hmm. right? So you can pass it on to your kids, your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren. They're basically guaranteed income as long as there's a retailer like Amazon willing to sell it and there are readers out there willing to buy it, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so I recommend people, you know, look at this like a long term. Like this is like a legacy that you're leaving behind, right? Yeah. And so some people have success incredibly fast and some people take them three, five, ten years, right? Yeah. So it's, it's really just varies from, from person to person. But I will tell you, you know, if you're not willing to put in more effort and more energy and more thought and more caring and compassion uh, and knowledge into your work than the average person, then your chances of success are really slim. No, absolutely. I mean, we are talking about, I mean, I'm sure that just getting a good book out before you can even get to the marketing phase is is a huge mammoth task in in and of itself. So um, after have you found in the past sort of any common mistakes self-published authors tend to make? Yes. Yeah, so all kinds of mistakes. So I think one of the biggest mistakes people make is like, the, like they just never get started, right? Like yeah. they say, oh, I want to write a book someday. Someday I'll do this. Right. And if they just literally sat down for 15 minutes and did that thinking time exercise and asked, you know, if I was going to write a book, what would it be about? And just started, you know, listening to themselves and really uh, having the courage to actually write it down and think about it. Um, most people would get started way faster. Yeah. Right. So that's the biggest mistake people make is they just don't even get started. Um, that's a very good once point. Once people get actually, started, they I, tend to quit. Right. I guess you have to have your basics down. You have to show up every day and get down to actually writing something. Actually, one one very good book that I really like, and I'm sure you, you may have read it, is Daily Rituals. I'm forgetting the name of the author. But it, it sort yeah. of profiles many, many authors and how they sort of struggled with writing every single day, but they still tried to write every single day. Absolutely. Yeah. That's a great book. It's called Daily Rituals, How Artists Work. 
by Mason Curry. Oh, yes. Um, yeah, it's a really cool book. Yeah, so I think reading biogra- biographies of successful people that you admire is a great way to get a clear picture of kind of the work that actually goes into creating a successful career. Because it's, yeah. it's usually a lot more work than most people think. And it's a lot more work than most people are actually willing to put in. Mm-hmm. But again, if you love what you do, it doesn't feel like work. Oh, no, absolutely. So so one is definitely sort of making sure that you're writing every day and keeping at it every day. What other mm-hmm. mistakes have you seen people make? Yeah, so overspending is a huge one. Right? That's why I mentioned that rule of three before. So people will, you know, you hire your neighbor's best friend or something to do cover design or formatting or marketing or publishing or editing, whatever it is. And you just pay so much money that you really didn't need to spend if you'd actually just done your research. You know, I've seen people spend like $50,000 oh my God. and basically wow. sell like a yeah. hundred books. Yeah. I right? mean, what is a good budget to think about when you're thinking about self-publishing? So I think a good budget is like $2,500. Okay. So it's enough to make sure you can get everything done really professionally if you're really careful about where you spend your money, getting your quotes, doing your research. If you have a bigger budget, you know, you're going to spend it, right? But you're not necessarily going to get better results. Mm, okay. And I'm guessing most of that money goes into either sort of the designing or then or editing it. Yeah, so most of it's going to go into editing for sure. Okay. So you can get a great book cover design for anywhere from like 50 to $500. Um, editing, you know, it totally depends on the length of your manuscript and the type and everything. But if you're spending more than $1,000 on editing uh, per one edit, you're probably overspending unless you have like a 120,000 plus word book, like, which would be like 400, 500 plus pages. Okay. And for designing, for getting a book design, uh, do you have any resources? I know 99designs tends, tends to be a popular website. Yeah, 99designs is good. Um, I don't really like it nearly as much as just going directly to the uh, designer and doing something like upwork.com. So upwork.com okay. is like the biggest freelancing website in the world. Okay. Um, it's where I find the editors too. Um, so, you know, upwork.com, you can post a job, you can, you know, post a clear description of what you want, what you're looking for. And then you can actually invite specific designers based on their portfolios of what they've designed before to I the see. job. And because you're hiring them directly um, and you can actually pay them like with PayPal or something, you don't have to pay them through yeah. Upwork.com. So right. there's no fees other than like the PayPal fee, That's which is like 3%. Yeah. And so you're going to get a better rate than you would by doing something like 99designs, which is a, a third-party company that has to take their cut in between, right? Yeah, no, no, that makes a lot of sense. So if you look back across, you know, all of your books and you've been in this space for a long time now, what do you think are the key characteristics of books that are self-published books that become very successful? So I think the key thing is that your book has is just has to be unique. It has to be different. And I think that's the success to really anything in business. It doesn't have to necessarily be better. It just has to be unique and different. It has to stand out in customers' minds, mm-hmm. right? Um, so an example of one of our clients' books that's been really, really successful uh, is called Unlimited Memory. And if you look, if you go on Amazon, you type in memory in books, and you look at the top best-selling books in memory, there's a lot of stuff like, you know, Moonwalking with Einstein by Joshua Foer, which is a great book, but it's not really like a step-by-step how-to manual to improve your memory. So if you're someone who wants to learn like, like how to have memory, like the world expert memory, um, it's not the, the kind of book for you. It's like a, it's a fun read. It's entertaining. You're going to learn a bunch, but it's not like something that's, that's going to teach you step-by-step what to do. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so there wasn't really a good book like that on Amazon that teach people how to step by step improve their memory from someone who's like a world memory grandmaster like like this guy is Kevin Horsley. 
Um, and so when he wrote that book and published it, it took off really quickly because it was unique in that marketplace because it, yeah. it was just like step-by-step, step, here's what to do hmm. and wasn't like 400, 500 pages like a lot of the other bestsellers in that market. Got it. Yeah. So if you have something that's just unique or different, that's going to really help you stand out from competition and provide that kind of long-term brand sustainability. Yeah. And so I guess I guess it's it's coming down a lot to doing your market research and really knowing what is the need that that is not being met today and then directly going after it, just like any other business. Exactly. And yeah. so I'll give you another great example. So there's a guy named Michael Matthews. Okay. And he wrote a book three years ago. It's called Bigger, Leaner, Stronger. And you've probably seen it because it sold like over half a million copies on Amazon. It's one of the best selling books in that market. And he's a self-published guy. And he you know, he was like working a, a full-time job. This was like a hobby for him writing this book. But he spent so much time and effort researching and making sure that it was unique. It wasn't like anything else in the market, making sure he had done his research, making it simple and easy to understand so that anyone can understand, you know, the really complex science that he delves into in the book. Um, and, you know, this guy has become a multimillionaire from this one book. He's, he's spun it off and he's created a supplement company that does like $10 million a year in yeah. revenue yeah. Yeah. from this one book that he wrote as a part-time hobby, right? And it's because his book is so unique. So you look at a market like health and fitness and weight loss, it's like, you know, it, it seems so competitive. It seems like, how could you possibly say something mm. new or different? Mm. But I think what people need in our world today is clarity, right? There's so much confusion around <laughs> like diets and weight loss. I mean, just like every, every day you can't look on the news, a different story, like eggs are good for you. Eggs are bad for you, yeah, right? Yeah. Fat's good for you. Fat's <laughs> bad for you. It's like, like, who do you trust? Like, where does the science even come from? Can you even trust the science? Yeah. And we're finding out nowadays, like a lot of the science that's getting published is, and is on the media and on the news is just bad science because it's not done properly. Yeah, no, absolutely. Oh God, it's so confusing these days. It's just information overload. So you just want to know, I can trust this person and then just... Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, have you seen any sort of recent trends in self-publishing? I mean, Amazon has been around for a while now. So what are your thoughts on how this space is evolving and what the future might look like? I mean, we, we've had a huge change in the last 10 years. I mean, from eBooks, you know, in like 2009, basically zero sales for eBooks to now like over four or $5 billion a year in the U.S., is a huge shift. Um, people, you know, 70% of sales happening online now and that number rising every year is a huge shift. Um, now digital audiobooks are, are taking off. So digital audiobooks a couple of years ago was like $500 million a year in sales and it's probably gonna surpass a billion very soon. Hmm. So digital audiobooks are huge and that's like Audible. Audible is like right. 90 plus percent of the oh, digital absolutely. audiobook market. I'm a big fan um, of audio clearly. That's why I have a podcast. Yeah, carry yeah. on. Yeah, absolutely. So, so digital audiobooks I think are huge and I think anyone who's, who wants to become an author, a self-published author, you should definitely take a look at audiobooks. Um, so the website is acx.com, which is owned by Amazon. Hmm. And it's kind of like Upwork. So it's kind of like a network of freelance audiobook narrators and producers that will do all the work for you. Um, but it's also the publishing platform where you actually create your account and actually upload your book and get it published and distributed to uh, Audible and iTunes oh, wow. and so forth. Yeah. Although I can imagine that must be quite an exercise, right? Like how do you sell, how do you select someone who, who you think can speak to your book in a way that you would want them to speak? Cause there's so many different ways to narrate a book, right? Yeah, absolutely. So yeah. So um, you know, the way it works is you can just post, post your manuscript on the site or like a sample, like the first 2000 words or something. Hmm. And then you can have, you literally have like hundreds of narrators uh, like, give you submissions right, and they'll actually right. read the first, yeah. you know, thousand words of your book or something like that. Uh, it's, it's usually like a minute or two in length. 
Okay, I see. And then you can actually listen to each of those, listen to their voice, how they say it, and pick the one you like best. The other option is you can just narrate yourself, and all you really need is a good quality professional microphone and some basic free software you can get um, to do it yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, I recommend most people just hire a professional because they're generally going to do a better job than you would. Uh, They know actually uh, edit and master it. So a big part of the cost of producing an audiobook is actually the editing and mastering, not the narration. Oh, I see. Um, yeah. And yeah. so if you don't know how to do the editing and mastering yourself, you might actually spend more money if you are the narrator because it's going to take longer to do that. Yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense. But this is a really good tip. Like today, it's not just about a digital ebook. It, there's also the audiobook. Mm-hmm. Um, Absolutely. And, and the other cool thing you can do with ACX and with audiobooks is if you don't have the budget to hire the narrator to produce it for you, you can actually, there's an option on ACX where you can split the royalties 50-50 with the narrator. So there's no uh, upfront cost for you. Okay. They'll produce the audiobook for you professionally. They'll, it'll be published to Audible and everywhere else. And then you just split the royalties 50-50 with the narrator. And you don't have to think about it because Amazon is going to do that and take care of all the payments for oh, you. Oh, that's very cool. Okay, so it's just then all about finding a narrator who sort of believes in your book enough to say that, okay, fine, let's just do a 50-50 split. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. absolutely. Okay. So, I mean, you've been, again, you've been in this for a while. Are there any aspects of self-publishing that you do not like? It's a good question. Um, I mean, one of the biggest challenges I've had is file management, right? So when you have like 10 books Hmm. and you have them all in ebook and paperback and audiobook, and you want to go and make some edits, you know, you have to change each of those files and make sure all the edits are aligned across all the different files. Um, Okay. (laughs) And even then there's some differences. So like for the paperback book, for example, like you might say, you know, the book you're reading right now or the page you're, the, the book you're holding in your hands right now doesn't make sense when you're in an ebook necessarily. So things like that, you might want to change between the ebook and the, and the print book. And then the audiobook, again, there might be some differences like paragraphs and, and phrasing you might want to change across the different versions. And so all that little technical stuff of, you know, making sure the edits line up across all the versions and, uh, and managing the files and make sure you name your files correctly and you organize them correctly on your computer. It gets a little overwhelming. Yeah. Oh my God. I can just um, imagine that now, now that you say it, because you, you have to make the edits in the print version and the digital version and then in the audio book. So how do you, how do you do that? So do you first edit one version and then do the rest knowing that this is the final thing? Exactly. So, yeah. So um, I use Dropbox for file management, which is great. Mm. And then I have really organized folders. So for all of my books, so there's a unique folder for every different title. And then in that folder, there's uh there's all the info for the ebook, for the print book, and the paperback, or so the ebook, the, the print book, and the audiobook. Um, and then all the cover files and stuff are in there all organized neatly. And I have like I use the same naming uh, system right. for all of them. So it's really easy to tell like which one is the ebook file, which one is the audiobook file, and so forth. Mm. Um, so that's important, just managing the files, having them organized. It's important. And it's interesting uh, that you say it. You you mentioned that it, you might not always have one-to-one between the print book and the digital book. Why, why would that be the case? So it's usually just when you say something, like say a phrase that refers to the book itself, right? Like um, as you're reading these pages or as you're holding this book in your hand, if you say something oh, like that okay. in the book, okay. Okay. it doesn't really make a lot of sense with the ebook. I I, I'm having trouble coming up with a better example. No, but um, okay, there might be some differences like that. I see. Okay. Right. Okay, I see. So, okay, so there there are clearly, so file management is clearly one challenging piece. And then on the flip side, well, not the flip side, the good side, what do you enjoy the most about being a self-published writer? 
Yeah. So let's. I want to go back to the last question because I don't think I finished the okay. last part about okay. the um, yeah. file changes. So what I do is what I recommend is do the ebook first always, okay. and make the changes in the ebook first because the ebook is going to be the least expensive uh, format to produce and publish, right. um, and is also kind of the the least technical. So for like the print book, you might need special software or you might have a professional designer to design the interior of your print book and do the layout for you. And so if you do the edits in the ebook first, you can just send them to your your designer, your interior designer, and they can make those changes. I found that works the best, which is changing the ebook first. I see. No, that um, makes sense. But, but then your next question about like, what do I love about it? I mean, I love that I just get to do what I love, what I want to do with my life. Like, it's such a huge blessing to be able to do what you want to do and like live your dreams. And like, I love learning. I love teaching. I love reading. You know, I read books every single day. It's like my passion. And so to be able to, you know, help other people through my books and, and see the changes that's made in their lives and all the emails I get from people saying that, <laughs> you know, I help them, you know, find their passion in life or earn a full-time income or start a new business or make changes in their relationships or whatever it was. is so inspiring to me because like, that's where I was when I was 19 and I was reading, you know, rich dad, poor dad, and every personal development book I could get my hands on to figure <laughs> out like, you know, what am I going to do with my life and how am I going to make it work? And so to be able to kind of give back no, um, to me is just an absolute yeah. blessing and something I love to do. No, absolutely. I mean, now, by now, how many ebooks have you published? So I've written about 25 or so wow. and published yeah. them. And then with the publishing company, we published several hundred. Yeah, no, I, I know you have a, your publishing company also, but on your own, you've published 25. That's a lot. So do you, do you try and like, how, how do you maintain such a high level of output? And um, by the so way, this is 25 over the, how many years? Uh, about, well, so I, I started publishing in early or late 2011. Okay. So almost oh, five wow. years. Oh, Jesus Christ. That's a lot of books. So yeah. So how do you, yeah. how do you do that? So I think there's a lot of keys to it. So, so first of all, like I talked about before is having that plan in place, like actually thinking it out, having that, that plan, having the outline, organizing it before you sit down to write. Um, another thing I do even before that is, is I'll do thinking time specifically on just book ideas. So I'll actually just do like, a, like half an hour on, okay, what are all the different books I could possibly write or might want to write about? And I might get a list of 20 or 30, 40 different ideas. And, and you then I'll this- phone it down and say, okay, out of these 40 books I'm, I might want to write about, which, what are the, like the one or two or three hmm. that I'm most passionate and most excited about? And I always try to work on the project that I'm most passionate or excited about. Because then when I wake up in the morning, I'm excited to go to work and I'm not like, oh, I have to go and do another thousand words today because I said I was going to do this book, right? So I think that is a huge part of it is just focusing on what you actually really want to do and not necessarily, even if it makes you a little less money, right? So even if you're like, oh, this market isn't probably as popular as this market, but I'm way more excited about doing this project. So I'm going to do that project. Yeah. Yeah. And I I think this thinking time uh, point is very, very important. So in your case, I think it seems that you're spending at least some time every week, if not every day, just thinking like about these ideas or questions or whatever, but spending some time just reflecting as opposed to sort of just going from one thing to the other. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And another thing that helps a lot with writing productivity is once you have that clarity and you're sitting down to write, Make sure that when you're writing the first draft of your book, so from like blank page from zero to the first draft, you're not editing, right? And so I used to do this. So I used to, I would write a paragraph or a sentence and I would go back over that sentence and edit it and fix the typos and fix the grammar and uh, and research, you know, fact check it, make sure I had all my data right. But now I write offline. I don't have any data. I don't have any information to look up, look, look uh, online. I don't have any distractions and I don't do edits. 
So awesome. I'm just like letting the words flow on paper or there's errors and typos and whatever. I know I'm going to fix them later. And, and what that does, the, it yeah. separates kind of like that left brain analytical editing activity from the right brain creative flowing writing activity. And so that has helped me produce so many more words so much faster and they're worse words and they're bad. And I know I have to do a lot of editing, but it makes the process so much faster and it can basically like double your writing speed just yeah. by separating the editing side from the creative writing side. That's a great idea. And actually, I, and I'm sure it just probably puts you at ease because once you have a first something in place, it's like, okay, now I, I have something that I can work with as opposed to just feeling stuck on that first paragraph because you're editing it and editing it over and over again. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. And I mean, the other thing is that like, if you're editing while you're writing, like you don't know if you're actually going to have a sentence in the, in the book anyways. So yeah. until you really write out like a hundred pages or whatever, yeah. you're, you're not going to know if that one sentence or one paragraph, or even that one chapter is going to make it in the final book. So why waste time, you know, going over it instead of just getting it out on paper and then you can review it, kind of get the big picture view before you go in and do the nitty gritty editing. Yeah. And do you do anything to uh, just sort of keep getting better at your craft itself? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I'm always studying. I'm always trying to learn more. Um, I have a podcast show called the Publishing Profits Podcast, where I interview authors, uh, like best-selling authors every week. And I actually just start that show for myself. Like it's, <laughs> it's become like its own like business now and I have a big following and it's, it's awesome. But I really, honestly, if no one listened to it, it would still be a hugely valuable investment for me. Because I get to like interview people one-on-one -on -one who are like the top people in the industry and ask them detailed questions that I want to ask them about the craft and about how yeah. they do it and how they uh, have, have found ideas and strategies that have helped them be more successful. Um, so if you can find a way to like interview people, that is amazing. Like if you can find top people in your industry to ask them questions about, um, you know, whatever you want to ask about, yeah. It's it's just so valuable. And what, so what having like that podcast show is like, I think everyone should have a podcast show, <laughs> right? Yeah. Interview a big podcast because you can, you can get anyone on your show. Essentially, once you have a show, it's so easy. Like I can get people on my podcast that I could never get a conversation. They would never pick up the phone and yeah. like call them or respond to my email. No, that's but because true. I have a podcast show, they're willing to spend an hour with me and answer any question I have. It's like, it's, it's amazing. Do you have a favorite question? Like any question that you found very insightful when speaking with these best-selling authors? Not really. I mean, I don't have anything specific. I don't really follow a specific formula for my show. Uh, so I always start off by asking, you know, how do they get started? Hmm. Because I think that is, is crucial for people to understand. Is like, you need to understand when you're learning from someone why they do what they do. Because if you just blindly follow someone and you don't understand their values, if their values don't match up with your values, then their strategies probably won't match up with your strategies. That makes sense. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. so, so someone who like loves wall street and loves trading, right. And like, like loves working hundred hours a week on wall street. Um, you know, if, if you don't align with their values, then their philosophy of success is probably not going to apply to your life. That's no, that, agreed, completely agreed. So, and, and I've heard, I don't know if you listen to the James Altucher show, that's one podcast that I follow a lot, but he, he tends to do that. He calls it the understanding the roots of superheroes or something like that, that yeah. uh, where did they begin? That's very important. So if you were to think about sort of three to five qualities of a great writer or a self-published author, what would they be? So I think number one is that they love to write or they, they love teaching or they love stories. They have to love something about it um, that they're willing to get up early and stay up late to do it. 
Um, so I think that's absolutely crucial that you, that you love it. You yeah. really enjoy it. And you might not love it in the beginning, right? Like I didn't really love writing my first book, right? <laughs> but you know, the more and more you do it, the kind of the better you get and the more you tend to fall in love with it and find your passion. Yeah. So give it a try for like at least, you know, six months, a year, you know, give it some good effort and see if you kind of fall in love with it. You don't necessarily have to love it from the beginning. Right? I think it's a big mistake a lot of people think people make is they think that they have to immediately love something in order to to actually find their passion. Where in reality, a lot of times what, what happens is you you work in that field and you learn enough about it that you would later then become passionate. Oh, no, absolutely agreed. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's a big one. Uh, the other one is that you have to constantly be studying. Hmm. So you have to constantly be learning. If you're, and I think this is crucial for any career, if you really want to keep rising in your career, is you have to study your field. You have to learn from the best people in your field. And so I think that means reading books. Um, today you can listen to podcasts of top people in your field. Mm. Um, you can find YouTube videos and like anything. Like I, I was doing origami the other day on YouTube. And like, I remember as a kid, I was horrible at origami. I couldn't do anything, <laughs> yeah. but now I can follow along on YouTube and do like unbelievably complex origami pieces. Yeah. Right. Because someone out, out there has just created this tutorial on how to do it. So I think finding those resources for you and they're, they're, most of them are free. They're available everywhere. It's just those resources on how do you get better at what you do? If you're not constantly improving your skills, then like, what are you doing? Right. Like, <laughs> no, like, absolutely. like you're not providing more value. I think that's one thing that I learned about business is that if you want to be successful and successful financially, you have to do it by adding value. You have to become better at serving your customers, at serving your readers, at serving your audience. Uh, and the way that you get better at doing that is by improving your skills and by studying. Uh, and then too. after you've studied or actually while you're studying, you need to constantly be implementing what you're learning. So it's like, I think school is, is a, a terrible model to draw from because <laughs> in school, like, like you study and you take notes so you can pass a test. Yeah. You don't do in anything life, with it. Yeah. You study and you take notes so you can get better. Yeah. Right. And so you can keep those skills for the rest of your life. Mm -hmm. And so if you're not constantly applying what you're learning, you're going to forget about it. Yeah. So you can go and read a book about how to be a great writer and read the whole book. But if you're not paying attention, if you're not taking notes, if you're not applying it as you go, you probably only remember like 2% of it. And it's not really going to make a big difference in your life. You know, I had a big moment, like a big aha moment, Sonali, at this uh, seminar I went to mm -hmm. where um, the speaker, he, he was worth hundreds of millions of dollars, real estate investor, just a very wealthy, very successful real estate investor. And he said, you know, he was 19 years old. He was in prison. Uh, he came out of prison and he found this one book on real estate investing and read it. And he followed the system in that book. And that's all he did was just follow that one system in that one book. And he became a multimillionaire very quickly. And I remember I read that same exact book he mentioned. It was some like old book and it published in like the seventies. Right. And I read that book and <laughs> yeah. I thought about maybe I'll invest in real estate. Maybe I, Right. And I never did it. I never applied it. Yeah. And so this guy took that same exact book, that same exact system and became worth hundreds of millions of dollars. I read that same book, that same exact system, did nothing with it and got nowhere in that field. Right. Oh, that's a great and example. So it's not about having the perfect information. It's about applying the information you have and making progress. Yeah, no, that's a very, very powerful example. Agreed. All right. So you've got to love it. You've got to keep learning and then not, not only learn it, but implement it. Anything else? So I think there's three parts of the publishing business that are really crucial if you want to earn good money. Mm. So there's the writing side of the business, there's the publishing side of the business, and there's the marketing side of the business. And each of those areas are entire businesses, right? There's an entire business around just writing a book. There's entire businesses around just getting a book published and getting distribution. 
and their entire businesses around just marketing. And each of those are unique skill sets. And you have to either master those skill sets yourself, which will probably take you years to master all of them, or you have to find partners who are masters in those areas to work with you. Um, and I think this is, you know, in any area of business, in any area of business, if you're going to start a business, if you're going to be an entrepreneur, and basically if you're a self-published author, you're an entrepreneur, you have your own business, you're striking out on your own. Yeah. And so to be successful in business, you have to have a good team around you and you have to know what your strengths are and what your weaknesses are and find people on your team that complement your weaknesses, right? So uh, if you're really weak at, let's say, marketing, for example, you need someone on your team who's really good at marketing. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, and so, so it's just being honest with yourself. Like, I, I mean, I hated that interview question. Like, what are your strengths and weaknesses? I thought it was the dumbest <laughs> question in the world. I, I just couldn't stand it when I was in college because I didn't understand it. And I really didn't understand myself. But now that I have more experience, I can look back and say, okay, it is crucial to understand yeah. your strengths and weaknesses. And for me, strengths and weaknesses are, are essentially like, um, they're, they're things that you, where you where you constantly areas of your life where you constantly have problems, right? So if you find that um, you're very weak at let's say communication of the people, like maybe you get angry all the time, maybe you don't listen, maybe you have arguments a lot with people, um, that's a weakness for you, right? And so you need to you know work on improving that weakness, but also at the same time understand it's probably going to take you years to overcome that challenge. And so if you want to be successful in that area in the meantime, you can do that, but you have to find someone who can help you actually take over that role for you. So if you're really poor at like, let's say social media or communications or having conversations with people, like maybe find a partner who's really good at that, who can kind of take over that side of the business for you. No, absolutely. And I really like the analogy with how if you're a self-published author, pretty much you're an entrepreneur. And so all of those skills that you need as an entrepreneur, you probably need them too. Definitely. All right. Uh, Tom, this was so, so helpful. I mean, really amazing. And I think the best interviews are the ones where the guest can really go into the the details and share very clear, actionable advice, which you did. So thank you so much for this. If let's say someone comes up to you and says, you know, hey, I heard your, your podcast and, uh, you know, I want to get started. What would be your recommendation? What's the best place to start or how would you start? So I think the best place to start is just getting educated. So um, I'll send you so not only tons of links for the show notes okay. um, on how to improve your writing skills, some of the top books on writing and, and, you know, like the free video training series where I show you how to format your book and Excellent. like all kinds of free trainings and stuff that you can learn more. But I would say like, like commit to studying it, right? And, and don't think that, you know, one video or one book or one idea is going to solve all your problems. It's a process that happens over time. So if every day you learn one new idea, in one year, that's 365 new ideas you have. So imagine how much farther ahead you'll be if every day you just learn one new idea. Um, so that's what my focus would be for anyone who really, you really want to start down this path, is just focus on the one step at a time. Uh, I think the most important thing when you're getting started is to have that commitment to studying and then have that commitment to writing. So schedule in your calendar time to study and time to write. Yeah. And if you do that and you stick to that schedule and even only like 15 minutes a day, uh, as long as you get into that habit, habits build upon themselves, right? And so what you'll notice is that as you get more and more excited about it and more and more falling in love with it, that 15 minutes will turn to 30 and 45 and so on. And you'll have to cut back on things like TV and stuff that you realize <laughs> that maybe it's fun, maybe it's exciting in the moment, but it's not taking you where you want to go with your life. Oh, no, absolutely. I, I love it. A, a big mistake a lot of young people make, a big mistake I made when I was young is I didn't think about the world through the long-term consequences of my actions. 
Right? There's this great, great idea about first order, second order, and third order consequences. So first order consequences is like what happens right away. So, you know, if you eat junk food, first order consequence, like right away, what happens? What's the consequence? Well, you enjoy it, right? It tastes really <laughs> sweet. Mm-hmm. You have this nice, you know, chocolate bar or whatever, and you're eating junk food and you're enjoying it. Second order consequences, if you keep doing that, if you keep eating junk food, you know, eventually you're going to gain weight. You're going <laughs> to, right? You're going to become overweight. You might get sick. It might lead to diabetes and other health conditions. That's second order consequences. Third order consequences as after that. So after you've gained weight and you have diabetes and you're sick and you're not feeling well, uh, you're probably going to, ch- it's probably going to change your, your self-confidence, right? Mm. You, you're probably going to feel worse about yourself. You're going to feel worse about your life. You're going to be less happy, right? And less satisfied with your life. Yeah. So when you look at, at what you do with your life in, the, in terms of first order, second order, third order consequences, then you can really honestly evaluate what you're doing and where you're spending your time. Yeah. Because until you take a look at all the consequences, you can't make good decisions that are going to help you, you know, end up where you really want to end up. Oh, thank you. That is an excellent framework to think through things. I think I'm going to start applying that myself. So thank you. And I can't think of a better note to end the podcast on. So thanks a lot, Tom. And I'm looking forward to getting the, all of those links. Uh, I'll share them in the show notes. Thank you. Thank you so much, Sonali. I really appreciate it. Yep. Thanks, Tom. Take care. Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye. Okay, so that was Tom on self-publishing and how you can make money by writing and selling ebooks. I personally really enjoyed the discussion today. And if you enjoyed it as much as I did, then you should subscribe to the podcast. Simply search for Learn, Educate, Discover on iTunes or SoundCloud or Stitcher or whatever your favorite player of choice is. Search for Learn, Educate, Discover, hit subscribe. And while you're at it, leave us a review. Honestly, honestly, it means a lot. It makes my day. You can also check out our website at www.learneducatediscover.com where you'll find a list of all the previous episodes as well as a number of helpful resources and you'll find show notes from today's episode which will include all the links that Tom mentioned on today's episode. You can also tweet at us at LED underscore curator and of course if you have any questions at all for Tom or for me you can email us at hello at learneducatediscover.com. You can also find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash learn, educate, discover. And if you like the page, you'll start getting updates on all the awesome content that we are creating for you guys right there in your newsfeed. All right. Thank you so much. That's it for today. And until the next one, bye-bye.